0: of spending time around plants are pretty well known by now, and lots of us try to spend time in nature as a way of relaxing our busy minds. I did a bird count next to a babbling tree-lined creek on the weekend, and it was bliss. Does bringing nature into school environments work in the same relaxing, restorative way? Dr Kate Neal is a therapeutic gardening researcher from Southern Cross University. Kate, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, I love that there's something called therapeutic gardening, therapeutic gardening research. Can't wait to get to get into that. And Brendan Watson is with us too. He's the principal of Catholic Regional College Sydenham in outer Western Melbourne. Brendan, great to have you part of this discussion. Thanks for having me on. Kate, you and your colleague horticulturalist Michael Casey are on a bit of a mission to bring green spaces into schools. Tell us a bit about what you'd like to see. What, what kinds of green spaces?
1: Um, I think when we think about... Green spaces in schools, generally we think about the oval um, and we think about um, gardens that are usually cordoned off and children are reminded not to go into or throw the ball in or retrieve a ball from. Um, but what we know from research around um, time spent in nature and around green spaces is that it has a wonderful contribution to children's well being. So Michael and I think we really need to be reconceptualizing what a school garden can look like, what the school garden contains and how children can... Can interact and actively and meaningfully participate in gardens.
0: So gardens, but also just increasing the general amount of greenery around a school.
1: Absolutely. I mean, thinking about the school campus and the school footprint and where can we pop nature into it or where can we take advantage of natural um, uh, infrastructure that already exists. And so we know, especially in urban um, populated areas and high density areas, that green spaces are probably harder and harder to find or they're becoming smaller and smaller. So how can we invest in infrastructure that really maximises children's exposure to nature?
0: Well, and you mentioned some of the, the known benefits of plants in schools. Maybe just expand on that a bit for our listeners. How well do we understand how good green spaces are for our wellbeing?
1: I think we understand it in lots of different and general ways. So, uh, you know, you talked to you mentioned it yourself. You're spending time outdoors on the weekend. You're feeling great. Gardeners will say that all the time. They feel better better after a couple of hours in the garden doing some physical um, activity. We know that when we visit our parks and our botanic gardens, that we have a wonderful opportunity to connect with nature. That we have a biophilic connection to nature. That we're drawn to green and blue spaces. Um, so. Really Really, it's about um, maximising those benefits. But we also know that there's benefits for children in terms of um, their concentration, their mindfulness, uh, how they interact with the space, how they slow down in a space. They seek refuge. When we think about school bells going all the time and children needing to get to A to B quite quickly and then having to settle even quicker, um, being able to incorporate nature more so in the school gardens Uh, enables children to feel more focused, to feel a little bit more calm and to be ready to learn. And that's just the individual benefits. Then we have all the social benefits of when kids are interacting together through nature, whether it's through active growing, as we see in sort of ag plots and kitchen gardens in school, or with more loose material plays, which tends to happen in the younger years. Um, Children are learning teamwork. They're learning resilience, communication skills, uh, gross and fine motor skills. So there's lots of uh, individual and social benefits. We also, sorry, sorry, just one more We also know that it provides a site for children to actively participate as citizens. So we see that through environmental stewardship as well, as well as the opportunity to grow food, which often makes a meaningful contribution to their local communities.
0: Yes. Well, I was thinking about how well loved the plantings at my kids' primary school is because they are so thoroughly played in. They just, you know, the kids zoom to those bushy areas as soon as the bell goes. When you talk about food gardens, Kate, uh, I want to talk in a moment to Brendan about his particular food garden, but what's the situation generally with food gardens in schools across Australia? How common are they now?
1: I think they're pretty common. I think we all know Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Gardens is a bit of a household name and a real pioneer of getting kids to grow food um, and to be able to then learn about nutrition and recipes and 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 taking those skills home as well. So it's not an unfamiliar um concept in schools. I think they they happen in varying successes. You often need the school champion who is um, a passionate teacher who's also an environmentalist to keep it going often Um, and I think that's where a lot of the work that Michael's doing um, and certainly is exemplified in Brendan's school around growing infrastructure and technologies how we can make the most out of growing uh, in particular spaces but also thinking about as we were talking in the previous section about climate change as well and what will that mean for growing technologies uh, into the future, which is an important thing to expose children to because
0: they're tomorrow's engineers and tomorrow's scientists and tomorrow's growers. You've been hearing from Dr Kate Neal, who's a therapeutic gardening researcher from Southern Cross Uni. And Brendan Watson is the principal of a school that's really taken this on board, Catholic Regional College Sydenham in outer Western Melbourne. Brendan, your school has a very large food garden. Tell us about it.
2: Well, we do, and and really, uh, it's got so many aspects. We've got native edibles such as lemon myrtle, finger limes, native mints, um, Davidson plums, as well as vegetables, carrots, broccoli, leafy greens. Uh, we've got mini fruit trees, citrus, um, stone fruits, quince, apples, raspberries. We also have bees, worms, and chickens, so there's there's, there's something for everyone. Did but you replant we... the oval or something? That's huge. <laughs> no, we didn't. It's it's uh, around our oval, in fact. And and often there's a lot of little bits of dead space in schools where you can create beautiful environments for young people. And and we need to be more creative in schools, and we can provide those sensory experiences for young people so that they're they're not just sitting in a, a, a fake grass or or a a bit of dead space in the school and and what we've found is we want every young person to find success in school now often that's through sport or art but it can be through the garden and and that um, provides connectedness to community and a sense of pride It's, it's lovely to see when the raspberries are out the students who are in horticulture taking their friends over to pick fresh raspberries and eat them at lunchtime and I tell you the staff staff join them as well, which is lovely. It really does develop a sense of community in the school.
0: So you've uh, used that garden to interact with your curriculum, it sounds like. You've got a horticulture stream.
2: Absolutely, we do. So we're a senior secondary college. uh, So year 11 and 12, 960 students. And we have about 700 students from other schools come onto our site for different programs during the week. Uh, So we're a little bit of a a, a TAFE, uh, if you want, because we offer so many vet programs and horticulture is one of them, uh, as well as hospitality. So we're doing paddock to plate. Uh, so uh, there's real benefits in young people learning about healthy eating, where food comes from, uh, and 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 the environment, um, learning and understanding seasonality and life cycles as well. Uh, but it is also a gathering space. It's a, it's a, a beautiful place to to wander through, and and to sit and have lunch. It's just a a, a really good experience for for young people.
0: I understand, like you were saying, it it sparks these conversations between the students when they're, you know, picking raspberries and things like that. Have you seen other impacts that it's having uh, within the school, perhaps on relationships between kids and teachers as well?
2: Absolutely. Look, When you have uh, wonderful spaces, um, it, students are calmer. And, and Kate just said that it, it calms the day. Um, and, and we don't have bells in the school either. So it makes it even more calm. But it, it also builds resilience. It's about health and well-being. When we get out in the garden, we feel better ourselves. And so to have a break from class, to be in the garden and then go back into class, uh, students can be more productive. But they The calmness as well means there's there's fewer arguments. Being on yard duty for a teacher is a much more pleasant experience where we can engage with students, which is why we've chosen this profession.
0: And Brendan, does it benefit particular students more than others? Do you think those green spaces, are there some kids who need it more?
2: Oh, I think everyone benefits but the, we have found that there are students who are, are finding their place in the school through this program and, and having great success and we want every young person in a school to find their their success. Uh, we, we have a mantra, every student, every pathway and, and there are many, many jobs in the horticulture space and, and, and so if we can Prepare young people to uh, go into a further study or a career. Uh, we will we will provide the program, and this is one of those programs that's really um, uh, finding that a number of students are selecting it and loving it. And the parents love the fact as well that they're bringing veg- fresh vegetables and fruit home uh, every time they have class.
0: Yeah, what's well, not to love about that? But I understand too, <laughs> Brendan, that sometimes kids who might struggle in a traditional classroom or who perhaps prefer to communicate in different ways might find that an extra calming space.
2: Absolutely. And, and um, uh, look, where, where there's... Uh, Young people who may be challenged to sit in a classroom and write all day, vocational education and training, and this is one of those programs, uh, can excel and be engaged and re-engaged even in school. And that's really critical because we want young people to find success, as I said. So uh, absolutely. And to toil in the garden, there's, there's something real about that and then to uh, grow something and, and see it um, produce where they can take it home and eat it with their family they've provided for their family there's real pride um, and as I said before it it's about them then bringing their friends and saying look at my patch look what I'm growing and you often see that out in the yard that they've found a they found a sense of pride in the school, and an area where they have had success. Where perhaps they they're not engaging in sports or um, not engaging in another aspect of the school. This is where they can do that, and and we want every young person to find their. Their, their little niche in the school. But it's also about providing spaces where there's passive and active recreation spaces in a school so that every young person can belong. And, and that also cuts down on bullying across a, across a campus.
0: That's a really interesting aspect of it that I I'll, I'll want to chat to Kate about in a moment. But just quickly, Brendan, was it expensive for the school? I mean, you talked about how you used up that kind of infill bits around the edges of the oval and little patches of land. But still, you know, chickens, bees, worms, fruit trees. It sounds like you've got a giant orchard uh native edibles and veggies th- all those things take a bit of setup cost don't they
2: and they take time. It hasn't all happened at once, uh, and we, we've done it incrementally. And every year, it's added to. And so we've got plaques around the school and and photos of of what that year level contributed. And so it's year on year. So uh, we've just moved into having vertical farms with herbs and and uh, produce, and that's going really well. Um, a number of years ago, uh, a group of students said we'd love to get bees. So we we uh, now have two beehives and our students have a, a class set of bee suits and they, they actually get that micro-credential of, of being able to look after the bees at the start of the year. And there's a pride in that too and they understand what the, the role of the bees are in, in, in uh, helping us to sustain life.
0: Yep. Big picture things happening on a really micro level. Brendan Watson is the principal of a Catholic Regional College, Sydenham, in outer Western Melbourne, where all these things are happening incrementally, as you've been hearing. And Dr. Kate Neal researches therapeutic gardening at Southern Cross Uni. And Kate, you researched the impact of this particular program. What did you find?
1: I found a, a lot of fascinating things. One that I loved was a student in the interviews who said to me, When I sit in a classroom, I feel like I'm being taught. For things for the future. But when I'm in the garden, I feel like I'm being taught for today. And I think that that's a really powerful statement that we often look at children and young people as becomings, but in fact, they're beings. And so the thing that they loved is that they were given knowledge and they were able to apply it and they were able to succeed right there in the here and now. And And with that, they felt valued. The school, I mean, Brendan does a a wonderful tour for people who come and it always goes through all the elements of the garden and especially the food garden. Some of these students are students who might traditionally have not done well in a classroom or might not have felt that they were value adding to the school through traditional learning, but certainly have a huge amount of pride when they see the principal taking people out through the garden to show everything that they're contributing to it so that was one. We had another student who has an incredibly busy home life um, and she said that she loved coming to the garden um, for horticulture class because it just gave her a chance to take a deep breath and to um, kind of just really relax and decompress Um, and what again through the interviews that we found is that The starting of class in that horticulture class was incremental and students were able to be, had to be in the physical location, but were able to engage in the learning as they were ready. So we often think about making children, you know, you're in class, get your books out, let's go. In the garden, it was really allowing children the time that it took to get their head in the game. And then they found um, that they were more engaged for longer if they were just given that extra 15 or 20 minutes that they may or may not have needed on any particular week. Um, The intergenerational connection, Michael um, or often hears students say, we grow this in Nonna's garden or we've had, you know, I've brought in plants, Nonna wanted me to give you plants. So it's really, again, allowing um, diverse cultural identity to flourish within the school garden as well. Um, and certainly, um, as you mentioned before, that opportunity for teachers and um, students to work side by side. We know in research around well-being that children children's well-being in schools benefits when they have a voice, they have a choice, influence and participation. And this is work that um, the Centre for Children and Young People at Southern Cross Uni have done. What we found when we applied that to the garden was the same. When kids are actively engaged in preparing that garden alongside teachers and there's a shared power dynamic where everyone's respected and valued, it has a really positive impact on their identity formation and their well-being.
0: Yes, I loved reading the evaluation and saying that that shared power dynamic, the kids had some, some trouble dealing with the idea that they could actually have this participatory role in decision making. But once they got there, they really loved it. Kate, just a couple of quick questions to finish up with. Can a program like this help with climate anxiety, which is on a lot of young people's minds at the moment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's about voice choice and control. So we know that children feel this way. COVID has put children in a really funny uh, headspace as well. We know that academic scores are actually slipping too. So um, all of that is tied up together. So if we can give children a powerful way to feel like they're making a contribution, however small it is, then it enables them to either express those anxieties, which actually help, they're not bottling them up, or to practice um, and have conversations, really necessary conversations about the future as well and feel a little bit empowered um, to adapt or to control or to have a say in in the future. And again, that's done through rethinking what a school garden looks like. So we're having vertical growing, um, thinking about the different ways that we harvest water. These are really, really great conversations um, that are being had in Sydney that are helping children understand the future that's ahead of all of us.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, some inner city schools don't have very much space at all and those those infill approaches might help. But Kate, very, very quickly, would you like to see particular things at the policy level to make it easier for schools to implement these programs?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there is there's so much being said around children's well being. There's so much being said about um, environmental challenges and climate change. We really need to bring these conversations together and know that if a school is addressing sustainability or environmental issues, they can also be having a really positive effect on children's well being. So we can plan, we can pool resources, we can do more with less uh, and have a positive impact on all of children's, like the, the whole child, not just different segments part.
0: Kate, Brendan, thank you both so much for joining us, Brendan, All the best with the incrementally growing garden.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Dr Kate Neal is a therapeutic gardening researcher at Southern Cross University. Brendan Watson is the principal of Catholic Regional College Sydenham in Outer Western Melbourne. What a gorgeous environment that sounds. My nine-year-old granddaughter, says May, was very keen to show me the worm farms at her primary school in Dramana on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria when I picked her up last week. And when I bought her a bottle of organic apple juice, she kept the bottle to take to school because it had information about organic gardening as they are learning about it at school.
1: Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy.
0: Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.